Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming in last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. And we're back. J Bone brought a beer for us to try out. You wanna tell us what we got here? It's from Founders Brewery, keeping it local as usual. Uh, but right above the uh, KBS branding, it says highly acclaimed. So I had never had it. I know some people on our team had to have because we're Founders guys. But um, it's a flavored stout, aged in a, a bourbon barrel. Got a little coffee flavor. I've had one before, but they're usually limited edition. They're not as easy to get. And they're like $20 for a four-pack. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they really get they really throw the cost at you with this one, but it's expensive beer to produce too. I mean, they're they're it's a barrel aged beer, so there's a whole step right there. That's something you can only get for a little bit, so the ingredients may be hard to come by or pricey or yeah. both. I mean, and it's twelve percent. So. Yeah, yeah, oh, heavy hitter. Yeah. yeah, it's my first time having one, man. Thank you for the no for sweat bringing it, dude. Capone said Chicago is a beer town. You know, talk about the beer wars. They have a we were at, right at the beer. point in the story of the beer wars. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd fucking shoot Jaime Weiss over some <laughs> shit like this. When we left off, the beer wars had kicked off. The Southside Gang took out Deano Banyan, and then the Northside Gang retaliated by going to war with the Southside Gang, as well as the Jenna Brothers. Now, Jaime Weiss, like I said, was the only guy that El Capone was ever reported to be afraid of. He was Catholic. He always had a Bible and a rosary on him. And uh, he suffered from migraines, so he was always, like, irritated. Dion O'Banion was, like, his mentor, so he gets killed, and he's like, all right, it's on. Let's go to war. On January 24th, 1925, while returning home from a shopping trip with his wife, Johnny Torrio was shot several times by Northside gangsters and left for dead. Now... Johnny Torrio lived. He was shot up real bad. He was shot in his neck and his chest and his arm. Like, he was real fucked up. They say that they tried to finish him off and then the gum jammed. Mm. And that's the only reason he actually lived. But he's fucked up pretty bad. But anyways, he decides he's rich. He's 42. And now he's all fucked up. And he says, you know what? I'm done. Riding off into the sunset. (laughs) This was the biggest mistake of my career was given the go-ahead on this war. Go to war, they said. It'll be cool, they said. I mean, why is this goddamn lunatic? This is fucking terrible. So, at the age of 42, he decides to retire, and he hands off all the operations to 26-year-old Al Capone. Let that sink in. Yeah. You're the head of the outfit. It's the mid-prohibition. It's becoming what it is. You're the head of the mob, the mob world, and you're 26. Al Capone takes over as my boss. Now, he was also an occlusive gangster. He didn't care who you were from. He didn't believe in making guys. He didn't think you had to be Italian. His Jake Guzik was one of his best dudes. Uh, he worked with the American boys. He loved, you know, Killer Burke's group. So he would work with anybody. But he had inherited the Italian gang. It's what they built. But he was so not into the, like, Italian-only thing that at one point he said, I'm not Italian. I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If you're good at being a psycho, you we need your purple pants ass, Joker. Come on over here. Al Capone sets up his base of operations at the Hawthorne Hotel, which would be his standard operating procedure most, most of his life, is find a spot and build a base there. Mm-hmm. So he set up in the Hawthorne Hotel in Cicero. He had a small army of security and enforcers, but he leaned heavily on two young Sicilians, Machine Gun Jack McGurn and Tony Accardo. Okay. So early in his leadership, he was a young guy. So he found these two kids. He thought, I see a lot of me in you. 
him and Jack McGurn were real tight. So they both liked to golf. They had golf together. Like he, th- like Jack McGurn was like his brother. Like that was his closest, his number one guy. And then Tony Accardo had came up under Jack McGurn. So when Al gets made boss and he's like, hey, we need more guys. You know anybody? He's like, yeah. I, know a guy. I, know I got a guy. guy. I got a guy. Tony Accardo. <laughs> I got a fucking guy over here. <laughs> him and Jack McGurn, the other thing they had in common, they both like tailored suits and flashy suits. So they would spend their whole fucking day together just getting suits done and fucking golfing they were like and dicking snor- around and shit. They were like snorky in-laws. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when you said that. I envisioned like a little scene like them like walking into a suit store together, like giving each other high fives all excited. But I love like, the way you have other commonalities though. Like, hey, they both like golf. They both like silky ass fucking suits. <laughs> <laughs> they both don't mind fucking whacking a motherfucker's head in with a tire iron if it's for a good if you're killing from the heart. Yeah. You know, if it's for a good cause. <laughs> so um They're yeah. both from Brooklyn. Like they just keep getting weaker, but like yeah. <laughs> we both like suits. Well yeah, we're gangsters, dude. Of course we like suits. Both hit a mean baseball back in the day, motherfucker. So he brings up a lot of young guys underneath them. The guys who grow up to, they would end up being fucking powerhouses. Although Al was tutored in Torrio's business sense, he had a willingness to commit violence at a rate that Torrio always stayed away from. But this kind of also helped him grow the business more. You're Let's mixing both worlds. We'll just make all the money. Yeah. Why do we got to share all the money? Like, that never made sense. We're sharing the money? No. We're not I'll CEO like Johnny T, like Johnny Torrio, but I'll fucking brute like fucking Machine Gun Kelly. Are we cool? So he starts fucking bombing businesses and shooting up people on the street at an alarming rate. So Chicago during the Prohibition era was the fucking Wild West. On April 27, 1926, an assistant state's attorney, he was 26-year-old wonder kid named William McSwiggin. He was, uh, he was born and raised in Cicero. Goes to college, gets a law degree and shit, state's attorney. But he had grew up with these two guys, James Doherty and Todd Red Duffy, who are now were part of the Westside O'Donnell gang. So he was actually out with his family, and he sees a couple of his boys, and he's like, hey, we're going to go out and get some drinks and shit. And he goes out bar harping with these guys, and at some point, they see Miles O'Donnell, a Capone rival, and then they're just going back about their party and shit. Well, word got back to Capone that the O'Donnells were out, there's a whole gang of them, and they were out partying in Cicero. Capone had been drinking, and he decided he wanted to go run this one himself. So he gets his crew together, and he gets a Tommy gun, and he goes to find these O'Donnell guys. And on April 27, 1926, he gunned down William McSwiggin, James Doherty, and Thomas Red Duffy on the street. Pulled up in the car, machine gunned them, and they all died. They think that's one that Al Capone pulled the trigger on kind of randomly. Just decided one day, it's them, it's the O'Donnells, I'm going to get them. I'm going to do it myself. And uh, Capone actually liked William McSwiggin, too. That's why you don't get drunk and say, I'm taking point on this one, I'm going to go... (laughs) street sweep like no do the ceo thing like what johnny t was trying to teach you no he's like no we're gonna gun down william mcswiggin <laughs> in the middle of the street yep that was one that even capone was kind of like damn that was bad call yeah <laughs> that was we fucked up on that one guys don't let me drink anymore yeah. and uh, yeah. so next time i'm like hey i'm point on this <laughs> i'm not point on that no more i killed the goddamn assistant state's attorney and i like that dude so after 19 beers you guys take my tommy gun okay from now moving forward not we can't change the past 1926 they decided we gotta eliminate jaime weiss and they had several failed hit attempts on of them so on august 10th what's known as the battle of the standard oil building was an extended shootout on Michigan Avenue in the middle of the day. By the time it ends, as the police were pulling up, 
schemer Drucci was on the running boards of a passerby's car with his gun on him, telling him to go chase down the other fucking car. <laughs> I'm giving directions the, now. The You're giving goddamn directions. <laughs> I'm commandeering your vehicle, <laughs> sir. Like the cops had to pull up and like, hey, stop, stop stealing that car, schemer, schemer. Drucci. <laughs> Everybody knows you're just a damn schemer, huh? Come on, man. This is like three minute long gunfight. It was known as the Battle of Standard Oil Building. So five days later, the Southside gang tried to kill Jaime Weiss and Schemer Drucci in virtually the exact same spot and failed again in another shootout where they jumped in a car and bounced back out. It sure. must be this corner we keep missing. Even with Tommy guns, we keep missing. It's like a Detroit like, Lions third and five play call exactly. right there. Like, what, you running up the middle again? Come on, what do you mean? It's third and five. <laughs> it didn't right. work the first time. <laughs> Wayne Fonts ain't going to call this next hit, I'm telling you. The two shootouts are now referred to as the battles of the Standard Oil Building. September 20th, a caravan of Northside gang cars shot hundreds of rounds into the Hawthorne Hotel, where Capone was known to eat. So what they did was they came through the first time, and they just shot a bunch of rounds in, basically, to get everybody up and up running and around moving. and figuring out what's going on, and then drove off, and then followed up with more cars, mm. thinking, oh, now he's going to be up by a window, <clears> and then shot it up again. They shot up the Hawthorne Inn. It's hundreds of bullets. Some people say thousands. They say it's probably physically impossible. Some people say it could be considered the first drive-by. But again, nobody got shot really bad. So Jack McGurn goes to Capone and he's like, man, there's a better way to do this. Like, you see how we just keep shooting, like, everywhere and nobody dies? Like, there's a better way to do it. Just give me a chance. I can take care of this. So Capone's like, cool. You can go ahead. You gave him to go ahead to hit Jaime Weiss. You seen what happened last time? I tried to take point on a on a hit. <laughs> yeah. job. I shot some kid. I shot some dude I like. <laughs> Fuck. Jack McGurn puts in his plan to hit Jaime Weiss, and he takes a different approach. So he does surveillance, uses patience, he sets up machine gun nests. So he rents places around uh, Showfield's flower shop, which Jaime Weiss was still operating out of the same base operations. Now on October 11th, 1926. While crossing the street in front of the Showfields flower store with a group of men, Jaime Weiss and another gangster were gunned down and killed. His bodyguard, his attorney, and his there was a special investigator that was with him that worked for the attorney. They all got shot and wounded. That's Jaime Weiss. That was him. Finally hit the target. So this is way more efficient. Al Capone's like, fuck yeah. And he makes Jack McGurn basically his field general. Jack McGurn, he starts like a street network. So that's another thing he believed in besides surveillance was intelligence. Through the years of 1927 and 1928, it resulted in the killings of anywhere from 5 to 12 out-of-town hitters that were getting brought in to try and take shots at Capone. And they could spot them like, hey, there's this guy, he's coming in town, he's a plumber, but he's got like wingtip shoes on with no plumbing equipment. This guy don't seem like a plumber. The guy get off the train and get fucking like strangled in the bathroom. No shit. Dude, I, I shook mean, his hands. You watched no Game calluses. of Thrones? How, how valuable is Master of Whispers? In the 1927 mayoral election, Deaver lost. Previous mayor before him, Big Bill Thompson, gets voted back in. <laughs> Remember when Big when Bill was around? When your name's Big Anything, like... 
Big Bill the Mayor is back in, and Capone gave him 250 grand to donate to his fucking. And guess what? He ain't even yeah, get no votes. Dude, I was gonna say he's the mayor. He ain't get no votes. How you like that? Like, okay. I thought you were gonna say you're like when your name's Big Anything. I thought it was gonna be followed like you're open for business. Like, yeah. like that's just rolling in the town the saying like, I'm ready hot. for you yeah. to buy me the fuck out. My name's Big Motherfucking Bill. Big Bill's. I'll take my big too. <laughs> Mayor of fucking Chicago? No, I don't take myself that seriously. I'm fucking Big Bill and shit. You need a new Cadillac? You come see Big Bill. <laughs> <laughs> no, Uncle Al needs a mayor. Like, well, then Big Bill's your fucking mayor. Then I don't care. Remember What's before, it pay? Remember before these gang wars when Big Bill was running shit? <laughs> people were just getting paid off left and right. You guys want those days back? <laughs> that, was, that was cool. That was much quieter, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Big Bill takes over in 1927. Al Capone leaves Cicero and moves back into Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, Big Bill paved the way for me. He bought a spot at a hotel, set up shop in there, and that was his new spot. Just like the Hawthorne over in the Cicerone, yeah. except a bigger, more luxurious. He's on the Miracle Mile now. <laughs> Al Capone, at this point, he bought a mansion that he would travel to often in Miami. He bought it from... Uh, the Augustus Bush family. So here's the Capone Miami mansion. Oh, okay. So beer, like the Augustus Bush, like yes. the Bush. Anheuser Bush. Bush. Yes. All right. Yeah. So man, beer, that just blows my mind though. You know what I mean? Well, I guess there's I some irony there though. Like you had the beer wars, the biggest, you guys made quality beer in prohibition and then you would buy. Yeah. I bought Bush gardens back in 1920. Yeah. What's up, that's bitch? a crib, man. Imagine having that place in the 20s. Well, that's a crib now. That's well, that, a, yeah. In 1920, that's like oh Disneyland. My God, like that's. Man. And I was just, I was going to say, forgive me. What was his wife's name again? May. Well, May. that's why May was loyal to the end right there. Cause she's <laughs> so look at this mansion around in this Miami. Pl- yeah, right. like, come on now. I would drive nice. to the rock and see him. Like, yeah. Hey, uh, how's Alcatraz going? I'm me and the pool cleaners got the pool real clean. Like she was, she was driving to the rock to bitch about something that was happening. In when are you getting out? That grass needs to be fucking cut. <laughs> Shit. Imagine and how the many... bathroom upstairs in the 14th bathroom leaks. Yeah. Fuck. Imagine how many titties were in that pool. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Thanks. <laughs> bet you there were some sexy titties in that pool. <laughs> I bet there was, though. Like, to this oh. day... Yeah. yeah, Miami. Miami. Yeah. yeah. He didn't get syphilis from licking titties. stamps. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> Tell me some titties wasn't in the pool. In 1928, he finds out his longtime friend and associate Frankie Yale was robbing his liquor shipments coming into New York. People get greedy, right? I mean, it was probably something that was happening for a long time. Maybe just like like you said, he just kept getting more greedy, more greedy, like trying to steal more and more. You figure Capone would would price some of that into the game a little bit, but I yeah. guess you know. Yeah, you pay after, money to make money. Yeah, you after, throw money at money. Right on, man. After a while, too much uh, ingredients start coming back on the fucking inventory sheet as missing, and you're wondering where the hell the pizzas are going. You know what I mean? Right. Every, <laughs> everybody knows everybody's skimming and shit. Right, a little extra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so Al Capone thinks like, well, it can't be Frankie Gale. So he sends in a guy, like, we'll go check out Frankie and see if you think he's stealing our shipments. Mm-hmm. And the guy gets word back to him. He thinks Frankie is stealing the shipments. And then a day later gets shot in the cor- on the corner in Brooklyn. Okay. Confirm- confirmed. Confirmation. <laughs> right. That's like that droid at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. Did they fucking <laughs> just, I don't know. 
You see anything? Yeah, Han Solo blew me up. Yep. We found him. Yep. So is uh so who's heading to New York? Yeah. Who, who wants who, a... who's gonna handle Frankie? Pone sends his favorite group of contract killers, the American boys, led by Fred Killer Burke. American boys go to Brooklyn to do this. They're not from Brooklyn. They're Midwest guys. They come from St. Louis. Capone sends with them little New York, Louis Capena. So he sends his guy with them. I got a New York guy. He's going to go with you. While they're there, the American boys, Killer Burke and his guys, they're professionals. They know what they're doing. Well, Louis Capena calls his girl from Brooklyn in Chicago. So on July 1st, 1928, Frankie L gets gunned down while he's driving his car down the street. So here's these uh, Frankie L pictures. Oh shit! Fuck. Frankie L was killed by a shot with a shotgun and shot by a Tommy gun. Now, when people see the scene, they always think, "Oh, a Tommy gun? You got shot up and stuff." He got shot 145 bullet. So they say Tommy guns have selectors. It's not the most efficient way to shoot a Tommy gun. Rapid fire is what it brings to the table. But Michigan State Police, to this day, have the gun that killed Frankie Yale. Really? Yeah. And uh, it was also used in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. But this was the first time that a Tommy gun was used in New York underworld. By now, Capone was living a lavish lifestyle. He wore uh, custom suits tailored for him by Marshall Fields. You know, he was one of the best entertainers, the best jazz musicians. I've been running this shit since 26. I want to be entertained, and I want to be entertained when I want to be entertained. He was one of the first mob bosses. First, he started off answering the press's questions. Then he started calling press conferences. <laughs> so he'd be like, hey, I'll talk. If the press comes here, take them from this angle. You know what I mean? Not my bad side with the powder and shit, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'll stand over here. And if you played, if you were down to play ball, Capone would meet with reporters and talk to them and shit. And he'd say shit like, hey, I'm just a businessman. I'm giving people what they want. Like, Beer he'd, sales. Like, he'd be yeah. wanted for a murder, and we know he did it. He'd come like, no, look, I fella, I didn't have nothing to do with this shit. Like, I'll tell you right now, I didn't have nothing to... Why are you guys harassing me? <laughs> huh? You know what I'm saying? Why can't we just all have some clams, some Fake beers? news, get out of my press exactly. conference. I love <laughs> golf. <laughs> out of my press conference. You're no longer a credible source. <laughs> I was on the call with O'Banion. It was a perfect phone call. Perfect phone call. <laughs> At this point, Schemer Drucci got killed by the police getting arrested. All the details are sketchy. It seems like he just kept fucking with the cops and it was a shootout. So some people say that he reached for the gun. Some say the cop was on the running boards when he shot him. Either way, <laughs> was, either way, way Schemer Drucci was in the car. The scheme ends here. We uh we cover a lot of we we at least we think we cover a lot of firsts here on the podcast. That was the first ever he reached for my gun yeah. cop excuse and shit. <laughs> <laughs> he reached for my gun. I didn't have no choice and shit. His name was Schemer. Goddamn it! I don't know if he was being for real. Or he was just scheming me but i was like fuck not taking no chances so now bugs moran takes over he was a big O'Banion guy and he's like fuck al capone man goddamn we've been at this my whole goddamn life he killed my my first boss then my new boss and then schemer drucci sleeping you know, in don't forget jaime don't forget jaime <laughs> Shit. So Bugs Moran's now in charge, and he's like, you know what? We're we're just gonna move into his territories. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna push in on Capone. We'll bring the fight to him. Mm. We're gonna rob his trucks. We're gonna take his shit. Fuck good, him. Good luck. Bugs Moran starts chipping into his territories, causing a bunch of shit. And then the Gussenberg brothers, who were their top hitmen, 
problem with the Gusenbergs is they're really cool. We'd like to cover them, but most of their story is a whole lot of drive-bys that didn't oh, shoot yeah. nobody. Like that was they <laughs> were seems, they shot a lot of bullets and uh, that seems to be the, the thing with drive-bys. There's not really a bunch of efficient like even if it's a paramilitary group or a gang. Drive-bys just aren't an efficient because you're in a moving thing. Like it's just not an efficient way to kill. Yeah, you're right. Even nowadays with the uh, newer gun technology, it doesn't seem like that's an effective way to way to do it. No, you get these handheld machine guns like a Uzi, Mac-10, and they drive by and they shoot up a lot of houses. And people do die, but... Usually not the attendant target, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like a three-year-old, two doors down die because the bullet went through four walls. So anyways, so Bugs Moran's moving in on the territories, and what he did do is he sends the Gussenbergs after Jack McGurn, like personally, and they hated him. They shot him up once where he got hit pretty hard. So even where the Gussenbergs couldn't kill him, what they did was they had him running for his life nonstop. So they were like shooting him up everywhere he went. One time he got out of court where he for sure couldn't have a gun, and he leaves to get in a car, and they followed the car that he left the court in and shot it up around the corner from the court. Because they knew, okay, he doesn't have time to get a gun yet. At the same time, they're moving in. So Al Capone's like, you know, what's our strategy? How do we move in? But the guy's Jack McGurn, and he's busy fucking running for his life because he's getting shot up wherever. Yeah. So now it's working. So Capone don't know what to do. He's like, fuck. You know, we're, we're losing. Mm-hmm. We just beat these motherfuckers' ass for like five years, and all of a sudden Bugs Moran's like, let's just start taking their shit, and it's working. So Jack McGurn says, hey, let me take care of it. So he's like, okay. Jack McGurn goes to work, and he puts together the plan. First thing he does, he gets Capone out of town. Capone goes to Miami, sets up shop at his mansion down there. Jack McGurn comes up with an elaborate plan. February 14th, 1929, while Capone's in Miami. Seven associates and members of the Northside gang, including both of the Gussenbergs, were lined up along a wall and gunned down in what we now know as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. The greatest nipping of the bud in uh, gangster history. Yes. (laughs) Al Capone or Jack McGurn never got charged with the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Nobody actually did. We believe that was another one done by the American boys. The one big mistake that was made is that Bugs Moran was not there. He was supposed to be there, but he was running late. But there was a dude, one of the guys that was there looked like him. It was Purple Gang. I don't know. It might have been Purple Gang guys that identified him, but they're from out of town. So they did surveillance, but they didn't know him personally. So Bugs Moran survives, and Northside Gang survives, but they were never the power player they were after this. So with all that, community don't like it, press don't like it, even your political contacts that you paid off are like, whoa, that's fucked up. Mm -hmm. It's a little too deep for me. We can't do this. So everybody starts to turn on them. That's wild. Torio had the vision, man. You just had to stay with Torio's vision, and you'd have been all good. So everybody starts to distance themselves from Capone feeling like he's on the ropes like capone's gonna go down for this the murder twins elbert and selmy and john scalise from earlier say it's time to make a move and shit they used to work for the jennas now they moved over to him and shit and they're like you know what it's go time he's weak we can make a move now so they start to put together a guy they get joseph hot toad gunta on board and he runs he you know he's high up at the union siciliano but word gets back to capone that network coming into uh play pastor of secrets well and when the people scheming against you are nicknamed the murder twins yeah you got to get on that there's a three guesses at what they want to do to you murder murder or murder 
We know who they're coming for after you. So, look, they're coming for you first. Can you, uh, is there anything you can do about it before they get to us or what? Capone decides, he's like, you know what? I'm going to throw a big celebration celebrating that we beat the Northside gang. We did it. We won. So we rented out a giant hotel in Hammond, Indiana. Oh, Hammond. We've talked about that before on the podcast. Chicago gangsters love Hammond, Indiana. So he's like, you know what? We're going to throw a huge party in Hammond. We won. And he invites both the murder twins and Gunta. While at the celebration, the conspirators were removed and viciously beat with baseball bats. They were found May 8th, 1929 on a road in Hammond, Indiana, beaten and shot. If you watch Untouchables, it shows Robert De Niro as Al Capone beating the guys with a bat. And that's a common story that goes around. It's in a bunch of books. But it was—it seemed like Al Capone doing it himself at the table was originally... It got printed as a story in the paper as an editorial, and people ran with it. And Chicago gangsters didn't deny it because it gave Al Capone more of a... Uh, Lore. You know, now he's... He's this big fat fucking weirdo that's having press yeah. conferences and doesn't want you to Hang look at his left side and shit, and shit. You know, yeah. so they're like, oh yeah, he did it. Yeah, he beat you with a fucking bat. You better pay attention to the fucking boss. You hear that? So the gangsters seem willing to go with it, which right off the bat should tell you it's bullshit. It's yeah, because I mean, when are they ever doing that? Yeah, I just pled the fifth twenty-seven times. If, if it was Thursday. real, there would be a lot more yeah. denial. Like, no, he wouldn't do nothing like that. Richard Lindbergh, who's a Chicago historian and author, he's wrote several books about Al Capone. And he has Tony Accardo as beating the guys with bats. And they still didn't do it at the table. They had him there to get them drinking and relaxed and then snatched him out from the table. Took him out back. Well, I mean, you're already trying to keep shit under wraps. We all know that Tony Accardo's nickname is Joe Batter. Yeah. I was going to say, you get you get hit with a motherfucking bat in Indiana if you're around Joey Bats and shit. Yeah. It's not a coincidence. His name's Joey Batters. So in the bad guy universe, Tony Accardo beat these guys with a bat. Richard Lindbergh agrees. But either way, most historians will give Al Capone those three. It's right. a great scene in the movie. <laughs> it is a great scene in the movie. After this, Al left for Miami, where he spent time with Lucky Luciano and Ciro Terranova at his house. And then he goes to Atlantic City from May 12th to May 15th, 1929. And this turns into what's called like a gangster summit of sorts. And it kind of is to address the violence in Chicago. They had gangsters of all race, like Dutch Schultz, Irish gangsters. They had gangsters from Philadelphia, New York, Chicago, Kansas City. They brought in the top guys from the families. It's the United Nations of yeah. the mob. And most of the meeting was to settle down Chicago and figure out how to work out these deals. Capone and Bugs Moran had a big beef over dog racing tracks. The meeting in 1929, at the time, Lucky Luciano through that meeting, he was only a lieutenant because he didn't move up to boss status till later. You see so. the writing on the wall. Like, Lucky was like an organizer. And most of the story was about, like, hey, Chicago, settle down. And that's what they kept saying. Like, look, we're in New York and we're doing our own thing, but you shot seven people in Chicago. And now they're like, now we got to break everybody's brothel. You well, know, now the like, whole what public, when it, well, what Lucky's saying, too, the whole public turned against you. When you get the whole world looking at you, and we're yeah. doing illegal shit, we're trying to be under the radar, stop. And then you guys are at this fucking worldwide meeting, and you're talking about, like, yeah, but the Greyhound track, bro. This motherfucker's digging into <laughs> 20 grand. Like, hey, my dude. Yeah. My dude. 
the fuck are we talking about here? <laughs> You're talking at- about a global fucking <laughs> black hand enterprise. And you two fucktards are talking about a fucking a greyhound race. El Capone basically agrees that they need to settle shit down in Chicago. It's bad for business. And he tells them he's with them. He's not going to cause no more trouble. We're going to settle shit down. The next day, he takes a train en route to Chicago from New Jersey to Philadelphia. The next day on May 16th, El Capone was arrested in Philadelphia for carrying a concealed weapon. He was sentenced to a year in prison with his bodyguard, who's also charged, and spent the time in Eastern State Penitentiary. Now, we actually covered recently Eastern State Penitentiary, but Eastern State Penitentiary is a fucking dungeon. It's now a historical site, but it's a fucking dungeon. Like it's Leavenworth it times like some medieval It's so shit, worth, right? yeah. It's like, yeah, because it used to be like a fort. It's a fucking sick place. Well, here was, uh, this is the El Capone cell at Eastern State Penitentiary. Wow. That's high zoot for a prison, man. I mean, I know you're El Capone, well, 1920s too. Yeah. I remember going to jail in my time ill spent, and I had a piece of thing hanging off the side of the wall and a little shitty blanket. My man's got like a writing table, <laughs> like a sitting chair. When you go home to your house right now, your bedroom probably has a ceiling light, maybe a lamp, but not a lamp, this light, this light. This is 1920s lab, yeah. you know, like this well, is not every... for, like a house, like a decor lamp. So he took his year. Now this is real controversial. Some people say he set himself up to take himself off the streets. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, to cool everything down. It was the yeah. safer. It was the safer alternative for him. Well, because like, he was known not to carry at this point. You know, he didn't have to, so he didn't usually carry. <laughs> People in Philly didn't get a lot of time for carrying guns. You know, he was actually the first person in Philadelphia convicted of a carrying concealed charge or in prison for a carry concealed charge. Most people were usually fined for it. The last one I listened to was like, well, I can do 18 months standing on my head. I think I could do 18 months standing on my head if I was in that cell, too. So Al Capone gets sentenced to a year. He does 10 months. He gets two months off with uh, good behavior. And in March <laughs> 1930... My, my ass he does. March 1930, he's out. He was immediately labeled old Chicago's public enemy number one. So he says, wow, there's a lot of heat. Fuck Chicago. I'm going to go to Miami. And in April 1930, he was arrested in Miami for vagrancy. Vagrancy is like if you're a homeless dude living behind the party store in a box. Yeah. If you own a mansion in Miami and you're down in your mansion in Miami and they still get you at vagrancy, like, there's something afoot here. The Sif was really getting to him. Yes. He had all this money and he was hanging out behind buildings yelling at cats and shit. He didn't know he owned a mansion. So he goes back to Chicago and then he gets... He gets grand jury charges, like they bring him in for something, and he says he's he's too sick to come in, and then they accuse him of contempt for lying. They just like just start fucking with him, like all the time, anything they can. The same shit he's been doing his whole life, but now mm-hmm. they're like, it's no, not fuck working. you, Al Capone. Right. Fuck you. We're done with your bullshit. Like the kid that got been bullied forever is like picking back. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck you. Fuck you. I'm a cop now. <laughs> Al Capone starts trying to repair his public image, because even the public's like, fuck you, Al Capone. He puts together a soup kitchen in the first ward. Now, the reason he actually put together a soup kitchen, because that's a big thing, right? Al Capone with the soup kitchen. Yeah. You know? And they put it all in the newspapers. That was a good one up up north, too. Yeah. Giving back to the community. Go, yeah. Well, the real reason they even set up the ki- soup kitchen at all is Chicago's a big city, and now we're in the Great Depression, and people are poor, so they're, like, flocking to the city. 
and people that were from out of town were coming and going to the soup kitchen. So they're like, we want to try and put together a spot for these poorer people to go to. And a guy wanted to do it that was like a local politician. He's like, yeah, but I can't put my name on it. So Al Capone took it over and I said, well, look, it's going to be like a hundred bucks a day. And Al Capone was like, bam, I got it. You know what? Slap my name on it. So they put together the Al Capone soup kitchen. But in reality, he only agreed because they were going to put it up anyways. And it just cost him a hundred bucks a day. Hmm. Despite his soup kitchen, the heat just keeps piling on him. At this point, there's a gangster named Joey Aiello who decides he wants to lay claim to the Janet Brothers' old territory, Little Italy, and he wants a spot on the Union Siciliano. So he's always a Union guy, and he's like, you know what? I want the Union, and I want our old territory, and I want it fucking now. So Al Capone's like, well, fuck. I guess I yeah. yeah. can see how this is going to happen. So now that the Gussenbergs are gone, Jack <clears throat> McGurn's got some time on his hands. Yeah, I'm not running no more. He sets up operation, and on October 23rd, 1930, Joey Aiello was gunned down, pulling no. up in a street from machine gun nested locations at an elevated right. position in classic Jack McGurn style. <laughs> What's crazy about the Joey Aiello one was he tried to get away, so he got out the car, and he got lit up, and he ran around a corner. And what he didn't know was that was where the actually Another the bigger nest. machine nest was. Ooh. And uh, he turned the corner and they opened up on him. Legend has it. The doctors took a pound of bullets out of his body. Oh, oh shit. And there Damn. was three more pounds inside that yeah. they couldn't get to. <laughs> With the murder of Joey Aiello, Capone consolidated all of the Italian organized crime in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He has to at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, he tried to do the separate and do your own thing and contribute to a whole, but too many attempts on his crew and his life, man. I mean, he had they had McGurn running for a while. They got him running for years now. I, I'm with them. You, you got you got to bring it in, whether by default or by you know purpose. In 1931, when Lucky Luciano put together the commission of the National Crime Syndicate, the commission was headed by. The heads of the five families, the Chicago elf outfit represented by El Capone, and then the Buffalo family. Hmm. And Buffalo, just because it was the proximity to the border, is that what it is? Uh, well, this guy, Magadano, was kind of a badass. Okay. Sure. All right. So he started from New York and branched out to Buffalo. All right. So El Capone's part of the National Commission, but everything's closing in on him. You just don't have the respect he used to. Is, well, when you don't have the community, you don't have the political connection, that's what always set them apart. The federal government had increased their investigations on them after the Miswigan murder. Yeah. So this is when they put the fucking, uh, the Elliot Ness, the Untouchables groups. Mm-hmm. So they're like, hey, go find something. And they ended up eventually charging them with 5,000 prohibition violations. Now they threw that out because the federal charge superseded that. But Elliot Ness did charge him with 5,000 prohibition charges. <laughs> On March 13, 1931, El Capone was officially charged with tax evasion. And that's what sank his battleship. Now, El Capone was fine with it. Going into it, uh, Jake Guzik had got hit with tax evasion. Ralph Capone had got hit with it. You know, all these guys did a couple of years. He was prepared. He had all the money. He could play back taxes. And they did some jury tampering. But there was this judge that was about to run against Big Bill. So he's like, you know what? This is where I'm going to make my bones. Is I'm going to put away fucking Al Capone. Mm -hmm. So Al Capone shows up. He has a jury. 
at the last minute they're like, you know what? We're gonna replace the jury with the backup jury we had waiting and shit. <laughs> oh, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> so Al Capone works out a plea deal. We'll give you a plea deal. We'll pay this much in back taxes, and I'll do two and a half years in prison. And they're like, bam, it's a fucking great deal. We'll do it. Let's go. So they run it out there, and they get in front of the judge, and they're like, this is the deal. And the judge says, nope, I'm not going to accept the plea deal. If he's found guilty, he's got to do every year he's convicted of. Now his defense team doesn't have anything prepared, really, mm. because they thought yeah. they had this plea deal worked out. So now they got to scramble, and they got to come up with these appeals. And they're like, well, then we got to re- now we got to recall our plea deal because we didn't mean that, because you're not going to accept it, blah, blah. And they try to throw together defense, and they fucking lose. And they hit Al Capone with 11 months, or 11 years. Damn. Yep. To that time was unheard of. Mm. The most anybody had ever did on tax evasion was three years. Hmm. Damn. So was that like the max you could get or something for tax evasion? It was 11? Yeah. Damn. I I bet at that point there had been people who did more time for shooting people and killing them than that. Al Capone was fucking crushed. Yeah. so he was ready to go to prison for a little bit. He thought he'd get off. Then he thought, like, well, I could do a couple of years. I could do whatever. And they're like, 11 years. You're going away. For you to be crushed, though, like, mm-hmm. you're only getting 11 years, motherfucker. They could have gave you life for all the yeah. shit that they know that you did. Right. They just you can't really prove. Right. On October 17th, 1931, he was sentenced to 11 years. Capone arrived at Atlanta USP in May 1932 at age 33. On his entry physical, he was listed at 250 pounds and was was suffering from syphilis and gonorrhea. Ouch. I forgot to mention, when he was in prison this last time in 1929, they had to do surgery on a sinus canal. Mm. So yeah, he's fat and he's got gonorrhea and syphilis and shit and he's all fucked up and shit. That's a hard 33, man. Yeah. (laughs) And that's a wild ass seven years, you know, from the promotion to now. (laughs) Man, damn. That's at least a 52-year-old, 32-year-old, right? 33-year-old. Right. So he goes to prison. He's having a rough time. He he met up with another guy that used to be a low-level associate for the Chicago outfit. And he's seen Capone and seen he was really struggling. He just didn't have it anymore, really. He wasn't very street. And, you know, these guys were fucking with him and shit. So he kind of, like, jumped on board, like, hey, I got your back. And was watching out for him. And Capone didn't have it very good in Atlanta USP, but just the fact that his boys started watching his back. A lot of people started complaining, saying he was getting preferential treatment. And as soon as the government heard, like, yeah, Al Capone's getting preferential treatment. So they picture, like, oh, he's got another fucking suite put together. And, uh... In August of 1934, he was transferred to Alcatraz Maximum Security Prison in San Francisco. America's like, man, this shit's been going on. You know, we 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 went through the mob shit through all the prohibition, and now it's over. We need to start fucking hammering home points. We're sending this dude to the rock. It's fucking, we're going to make a, an example out of this dude. Well, I've probably said this a lot. At some point around here, it switched from the gangsters who were the romantic guys to... The Untouchables. Mm-hmm. Elliot Ness is yeah. the fucking guy. You know, so it used to be, it's cops and robbers, but you used to root for the robbers, right? And you mm-hmm. got James Cagney, like, hey, you see, you know, but then at some point you're like, we like the cops now. Mm-hmm. El Capone caught himself in a, we don't like the bad guy phase no more. And Elliot Ness and all those, like the cops and feds get all the love and um, the new noir love and all that. But it was really the IRS. Nothing to do with Elliot. Even though those 5,000 charges came, the IRS is what fucking put him away. But they sent him to the fucking rock. 
And uh, Al Capone's not really made for that shit. He was a good prisoner. He wasn't much of a gangster no more. Like, I mean, he was, but he just, he was a leader, not a fighter. And on June 23rd, 1936, he was attacked and stabbed by Texas bank robber James Lucas. He was able to fight off Lucas and was not seriously injured, even though he stabbed up. I think that's one of the things, like, uh, it's the last to go, you know? Mm. Oh, yeah, man. You know? I mean, I, and even in, like, regular-ass, you know, society, you don't want to mess with the crazy motherfucker in the alley, man. Because, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, he's going to be able to fight to the death, <laughs> you yeah. know? While in Alcatraz, El Capone's cognitive decline became obvious. He spent his last year at Alcatraz in a hospital unit and was transferred to Terminal Island in California in January 6, 1939. Once he got there, his wife May appeared in court to speak to his reduced mental capabilities and he was released on parole on November 16, 1939. After he gets released from federal prison, he goes straight to Union Memorial Hospital in Baltimore. He actually first went to uh, Josh Hop- John Hopkins... Is it John Hopkins or Josh Hopkins? Jo- John Hopkins. Yeah. They refused him. Hmm. So he ended up at Union Memorial Hospital in Baltimore, which is also They a take a fucking creed like the fucking judges and lawyers. Like, you can't refuse them because you're against his morals. Right, you're not supposed to refuse that, anybody. Isn't that like a Hippocratic <laughs> Oath? Isn't that what it's yeah, called? Exactly. Like, you have to mm-hmm. take care of this dude. But they're like, no, fuck him. So he goes to Union Memorial. He gets treated for paresis. That's basically advanced stage mental Dementia. illness from advanced syphilis. One thing we didn't cover much was a lot of stories portray Al Capone as having done a lot of coke. And then he goes to prison and he's a cokehead. Now, where most of that comes from, a guy did a book. And in the book, when he was checked in, he had advanced holes in his septums, which they contributed to having a coke addiction. There's really nothing in Al Capone's story to show that he ever did coke, except for the holes in the septums. And the second leading, the second leading cause of holes in your septum besides cocaine use is advanced stage syphilis. Okay. And he's also had issues with his nose right. since his he was a fucking little kid. Yeah. Anyways. Part of me was gonna say, well, he's good at hiding shit from stuff. I mean, like. He somehow stayed married even though he had like a hooker addiction to the point of syphilis. So maybe he just hit his coke addiction too. But that makes sense. He's had the sinus problems his whole life and the syphilis problems his whole life. Well, And the other thing, that at that point, people weren't sniffing a lot of coke. Nope. They, the coke was a lot more uh, liquid form oh. that you were drinking. In your like Coca-Cola, pe- yeah. in your um, like medicine, like bottles, like an opium style, like the more good old Coke, not this yeah. cut up fucking you sniff it through your nose Coke. The Plus the person like um, being a good business sense, like even though he had his wild side and beat people to death, all that, he had a real good business sense, and that's not conducive to a coke head. Like none, of, so like what he's saying, and it makes sense. None of the other ninety percent of the story is conducive to him being a coke head. So gotcha. It seems weird had, that that would sneak he in. He like had that. syphilis, and the second leading cause of that, the holes there were syphilis. The evidence, if we were judges, like if this was a courtroom, like it, you got to go against. No, none of us can say definitively he didn't sniff cocaine, but like he yeah. pointed out, it wasn't a big sniff thing. It wasn't the eighties disco say, era. I'm sure there was still powder cocaine yes, out there at the was. time, but it wasn't like it wasn't the way people did it. 
Like gotcha. you wouldn't buy. Cocaine. That's a fairly new thing. Like um, that's that's your late fifties, early sixties. Um, where it became refined and mm-hmm. and cut up and made the powder form because the old Incans like they would chew on the coca leaves and like all that was prevalent all the way through the forties. People smoked and chewed drugs for generations, and then all of a sudden our grandparents decided to start <laughs> sniffing them and shooting them and up. Free- <laughs> yeah. It's just right, straight to the veins. Let yeah. me shoot this. He eventually, March 20th, 1940, checks out of the hospital, and he moves to Palm Island, Florida, which is now like a private island. In 1942, penicillin becomes readily available. He was one of the first patients. Now, it was way too late to reverse the effects, but it slowed the progression he was able to maintain. And he spent most of his life in Florida with his wife and grandkids. He'd sometimes get, like, visits from old friends and shit, and he'd just hang out with them. He's in Florida, like, Hey, remember when we shot up that building? (laughs) Hey, nobody died, but uh, we 5,000 bullets. We wasted some bullets. People say when he got out of prison, he had the mentality of a 12-year-old. They talk about dementia. There's the new Tom Tom Hardy movie that's out where it has him, like, shooting a machine gun with a diaper. But in reality, when he was released, when they said, like, uh, the temperament of a 12-year-old, they said temperament. So they never said the intelligence of a 12-year-old. They said the temperament. So he receded a little bit, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? He's a calmer dude. But at the end of the day, even 12-year-olds, you see a lot of 12-year-olds, like, shooting machine guns and diapers and shit. <laughs> so even 12-year-olds kind of have a grip on what's going on in the world. Right. You know what I mean? He did have mental issues. He was had a lot of real bad health issues. But a lot of the mental stuff that they say, it seems to be kind of overblown. Now, one of the big ones we get is pictures of him fishing in his pool, right? They were taken in 1930. He was in his robe. He took pictures on his boat and on his dock to try and show that he was like a regular dude. Smoking his cigar and on my robe. So these are pictures, pictures of Al Capone in 1941. This one is a month before he died. So he's not wearing a lot of diapers. Maybe that was a point in our time where they realized the power of propaganda and media. And I will say, if you look at that bottom picture, he's got a fucking fupa like a motherfucker, though. Yeah, he's you could tell, man. He's loving the sun and, and just pasta. enjoying the life down <laughs> in Florida. And that seems to be what like people do in Florida after, at the retirement ages, man. Just kind of live it up and uh, let it, let it you roll. You golf right and over. eat pasta. They that joke. It's Florida's, Michigan's, Bahamas, and I guess it's Chicago and Illinois Bahamas too. No, the whole Midwest Bahamas. Damn straight. You go, Al. I mean, it's wild though. Just to think about, like, I mean, even if the public turns back on you, like you guys, we all quoted earlier, the world turns their back on you, and somehow you're still able to ride out into the sunset down in sunny. Warm Florida, you know what I mean? Like, Chill damn. with your kid. That's his kid right there. And he's not at a motel. He's oh, on the, the he owns a mansion yeah, right down on. there. May still with him? Right yeah. on, man. On January 21st, 1947, he suffered a stroke. And then he caught pneumonia. And then while he was recovering from pneumonia, on January 25th, he had a heart attack. Hmm. Damn. All right. So it was, it was meant to be. It was like, compounded. That's a, that's a fucking... Is this time? That's the trifecta. Al Capone died in his house, surrounded by his family. Died at 48 years old. He certainly don't look 48. <laughs> well, you know, we they, we've talked about it on the show before, man. The 48 in 1941 Damn, is, is a harder 48 yeah. than 48 in 2021. <laughs> 
Holy shit. I mean, you know, just like um, like he said, what I think it was Luciano got uh, <clears throat> syphilis and just had it treated. And, and, and Al was like, no, fuck that shit. I'm not getting it treated. I mean, there's a reason why. Maybe he didn't trust the way they were going to treat it. They didn't trust modern medicine. Who knows? It, well, late, late, late in the stages, the penicillin treatment came out. Yeah. When Lucky got it, penicillin had been out for seven to ten years. You know what I mean? So, like, it was... Oh, okay. I thought so it was Pen- around the same time. I, all right. No, Lucky Luciano, I was like, well, I no, Lucky wanted- Luciano had to do fucking, because before penicillin, he had to do mercury treatments where they oh. shove that shit up your fucking cock. Well, that's what I was just about hole. to say, is I wouldn't uh, want no dickhole in- injections. Yeah, so I take that shit up fucking right yeah, up there. Yeah, I think maybe if I was Al, I might have been saying fuck that yeah. as well. Yeah. You know? like, I'll just fucking just keep grossing around yeah. for the rest of my life. Like, I can fist fight. I can fish in my pool. I can fish in my goddamn pool. Is, is Fuck anything, you guys. Is my life really that bad? I took it over at 26. By, you know, 31, I, I got, I'm i flying people across the country to entertain me. Like, I don't need no treatments. Like, it's straight, man. I mean, if that was the case, though, you could just go jump in the uh, Detroit River, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get some mercury on my pee hole. Jesus. <laughs> Al Capone is currently buried in Mount Carmel Cemetery in Hillsdale, Illinois. All right, so Illinois is always home to Al. Gotcha, man. So that's the story of Al Capone. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. Now, this is normally where we, we... would have not known a pitcher and <laughs> right. they've never seen him before. Right. Um, but obviously we've all seen pictures of Al Capone. And we would try to pick someone that would play him in a movie. But I got a list here. And I'm, I won't read the whole list, but like just a quick hit of actors that have played Al Capone. It's ben Gazzara, Robert De Niro, Eric Roberts, Titus Welliford, William Forsyth. John Bernthal, Stephen Graham, Milo Gibson, and Tom Hardy. And that's that's not all of them. That's uh the bigger ones. That's some of the guys. When you read that list, that was the who's who of guys that I would not pick to play outcome. <laughs> <laughs> right. And just the two bigger ones, like the biggest ones in that list, like your Tom Hardy or Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro can play any other gangster in the world except well, he he really he got fat for it. No, no, and not to say he didn't look the part, so to right. speak. Well, who's your guy then? That could play him. Yeah. He I'm plays more. Guy. He's a, a comedian, but John Lovitz. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite, and I know he didn't get a lot of time on screen to play Capone was. The guy who played him on Boardwalk Empire. Stephen Graham. And for some reason, I just, for some reason, I think, like, he, to me, he just captured, like, Al Capone's, like, personality, maybe a little bit more how I always, like, imagined it in my mind. I haven't seen the Tom Hardy one, though, and I'm a big Tom Hardy fan, so I'm sure that'll sway me a little bit, but just, like, looks-wise, like, I know he wasn't as Italian-looking as, you know, he might have needed to be, you know, but anyways, I thought he did a good job. I recently watched Boardwalk Empire, and Stephen Graham, he's a little small, I think, that would be my bigger problem, is he's a little small, 
But I think besides that, he did a great job. It's a genuine take on him. They, I mean, he did the coke thing, but that's not him. He's an actor. He's just got to play whatever the, the whatever they, they write in, front in the of script. You know? So, but I think Stephen Graham did really well. So we can't really do a DefCon scale, but now that you've heard a story of him, when you say Al Capone, would you say, as far as the legend Al Capone, would you say he lived up to it? He was overrated or underrated? I'll say he lived up to it. I'll say he lived up to it. Yeah. Definitely. There's some facts that I I think we all agree it kind of comes across in this this episode, but um, been badass since buying, he was ten. The buying turkeys and all that, like some of it was advantageous, but like as a businessman, you would want to be advantageous or whatever. Like I don't think it was fake. Yeah. He killed with no problem. Ordered kills with no problem. Killed from the heart. Like he was a good dude. Kill. Kill from the heart? Is that a rating? <laughs> we're going to rate people on killed... He killed from the heart. No, he... Well, some people kill no, just because that's you. the You're business they're off, in. You, like... you started a new rating scale of who kills from the heart or not. <laughs> Defcon 2. Defcon 2. Yeah, I mean, he's killing, but did he mean it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Was he coming from a good place? Like, mm. did, was his intentions, like, there? Like, yeah. I mean, I think he lived up. I mean, like what what I agree with what Jay says, and and I I also always put Capone as that first flashy, flaunty gangster. Now he did have a short reign, but and he technically didn't build anything, inherited shit. But it was also wartime, you know. It's chaos. I think he's just a scrappy dude. Mm-hmm. I think Al Capone is the perfect example of a match. You know, it burns hot, but it's quick. All right, well, uh, before we go, you guys got anything? Uh, KBS is pretty freaking good. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be a return uh, return uh, champion. Yeah, man, this is the, I mean, we're recording right before the holiday season, the, the Christmas holiday season. Just everybody take care of your families and have a good holiday. Amen. All right, this is Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Thanks for coming, and thanks for listening. To the bad guy, bad guy. the good guy coming last place. Last Smell place. that dope when I pass by. Pass by. I like my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy, bad guy. the good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. Down bad, my mama had to be dead. Spent my birthdays in the trap. We had to work with what we had. She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man. Plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the cam. And I don't need a hundred friends. I just want a hundred bands, a hundred jugs, a hundred scams. Hey, hey. So I don't money gram the hundred hams. So I don't money gram the bunch of bands. And I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the Fuck a judge with a grudge, I'm blowing crud for my mental life. Ay, and I still keep it on me, run into your big homie, first you meet your dead homie, ay, yeah. Say hello to the bad guy, bad guy. the good guy coming last place. You smell that dope when I pass by, pass by. I like my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy, bad guy. the good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I just did the dash, right, in the fast lane Let my money at a fast pace, look like a drag race 
Got your re up in my ass, right? I'm in my bag. Hey, good girl, bad face, no waist, and her ass fake. Hey, and she in love with the bad guy. Hey, but bad bitches never act right. Hey, she act up into that bag fly. I did a turn around at one night. Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Hey, the good guy come in last place. Hey, you smell that dope when I pass by. Hey, I let my money at a fast price. Say hello to the bad guy. Good guy, come at last place. Smell the dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace.